Support for this episode of The Most Accurate Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in below-the-belt grooming for men. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and they obsess over their technology development to provide the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TMAP. Welcome to Team App. For one last episode, I will be your host. My name is Greg Smith, and it's been a pleasure filling the fantasy football airwaves for you over the past couple of years. There are too many people to thank because I had a lot of support in the long journey before I joined the team at 444.com, but I cannot sign off without expressing my immense gratitude to my old 2QB's teammate, Sal Stefanelli, for introducing me to the good people at 444, to Josh Moore and Luis Escalante for bringing me on. To John Paulson and Anthony Stalter for welcoming me and propping me up from their end of this podcast feed. And to Alex Gelhar for taking over on TMAP after I'm gone. Please support this podcast by heading over to 444.com and checking out what the site has to offer. Our draft kit for the 2020 season is now available. Get subscribed and dominate your fantasy football leagues this year. Anyway, that's it for the, the goodbyes and all that. We're still here on the podcast to talk about fantasy football to help me with that, the great Rich Rebar is joining me today for some NFL news and a big preview of the wide receiver position. Before we get to Rich, though, let me tell you one last time about the music on today's podcast. I'm going out on a song called Going Against Your Mind by Built to Spill from their 2006 album, You in Reverse. It's probably my favorite song of all time. It's, it's hard to ever pick one, but you're only getting a taste of this eight-minute-plus epic here on the pod. So to hear the full song and all the other music from my episodes, check out the Team at B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. Now, let's welcome Rich Rebar to the program. You're probably already following him on Twitter, at Lord Reeves. If not, please remedy that mistake immediately, and be sure to check out Rich on the Pre-Snap Motion podcast, plus all of his work over at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Welcome to the podcast, Lord Reeves. How is everything going? Greg, it's going great. You know, it's a, a, an extreme honor to be the the final guest. You know, it's like a historic moment. I'm the final, you know, podcast guest guest with you. So, I mean, I'll I'll take that as a, like a feather in my cap at the end of this off season. That uh, this is the podcast that will will mean something for your four 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 career. You know, I'm the the, the guy bringing it home in the ninth inning. So uh, hopefully we go out with a bang here. And uh, I've never heard that song before, but I'm gonna go check it out. The the, the eight minute song. <laughs> It's good, man. It's it's not like an eight minute drag. It's an eight minute kind of. <laughs> it's something that like you'd put on if you're taking like a road trip and you need to kind of cruise down the highway for a good eight minutes. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those. Right. Yeah, one of my favorites. Anyway, I couldn't think of anybody better to have on the podcast today to close. Uh, you know, my time here and especially to talk wide receivers. I know that uh, I, I gave you the option of which position you wanted to talk, and that was the one you decided to chop up with me. So excited to do that. But before we get to wide receivers, let's talk a little bit of news. I guess we are talking about wide receivers in the news here, but Debo Samuel, not likely to be ready for week one. Jalen Hurd suffers a torn ACL in practice, I think just yesterday or the day before. Mm -hmm. How should our pal Denny Carter, uh, as they say, adjust his rankings of 49ers players in light of these developments with Debo and Jalen Hurd? 
Yeah, this Niners situation is starting to get a, a little wonky on us here. I mean, obviously, you know, they they spent a first round draft pick on Brandon Ayuk, and they also traded back up in the first round to, to select Brandon Ayuk, and he kind of really fits what they want to do, uh, you know, from a passing game stance. Anyways, I mean, look at Jimmy Garoppolo; he led all quarterbacks in passing yards that came from yards after the catch a year ago at fifty four point two percent. Ayuk's a guy who averaged a little under eleven yards per catch after the catch, you know, a year ago coming out of uh, Arizona State. So he really fits the mold of what they want to do you know Debo Samuel is expected back at some point we don't know when he's kind of just off my draft board I mean I kind of operate in like a strict rule where I don't draft players that are already injured you know history has shown that you know preseason injuries lead to more injuries in season and when you look at the specific injury that Debo Samuel has and the wide receivers that have had that you know Sammy Watkins Julian Edelman Des Bryant um, you know, even if not a non-wide receiver, Greg Olson, you know, the, the past couple of years dealt with that Jones fracture. It's you, typically the first year is, you know, an underperformance. It takes it a full year to get back and he might be rushing his recovery. We don't know exactly when he's going to be coming back. I think if you have Debo Samuel and you're high on him, you would rather just the 49ers put him on PUP. So you just know that he can't come back the first six weeks. And then you know that they're, he's going to operate in the full timetable. But if he comes back early, it's tough to really invest. So he's just not really on my draft board, you know, so be it. It's just a, a, a way I play, you know, injury optimism. The hill of injury optimism has claimed a lot of fantasy souls during the draft period for a number of years. And I've been victim countless times, as I'm sure you have, and a lot of listeners have. But typically, we're not smarter in saying, like, we're getting some kind of gift from the, from the gods here when we get a discount, an injury discount. Uh, so he's not someone I'm really pursuing. I mean, you're just really excited for the guy who just got the contract extension, though. I mean, George Kittle. I mean, it's where the passing game is going to run front, run through. Uh, so it's still, it's still going to be Kittle's show. Ayuk uh, probably gets a little more um accelerant uh on his you know usage and, and his involvement in the offense that he would have had if all these dominoes wouldn't have fallen up into this point but you know we're still really looking at is george kittle passing pie first Ayuk is kind of a you know a bench wide receiver spot and see where it goes uh maybe you can use him as a starter at some point in the season um and then like i said i'm unfortunately going to be out on debo samuel yeah, I'm out on Debo Samuel for all the same reasons. I'm, I'm with you on fading injury optimism. And so when I look at this news with Samuel and Hurd both potentially being out for significant time, like we know Hurd's going to be out for significant time. We're not quite sure on Debo. It kind of makes me work through the Niners receiving core from like the bottom up. Like I look at Trent Taylor and Dante Pettis. Like I moved both of them up my rankings a little bit, but both of them are going to remain outside my top 100 wide receivers. I moved mm-hmm. Kendrick Bourne up to wide receiver 73 which puts him in play for me as a late-round flyer, but he was already kind of that, so I don't think there's a big change there. Ayuk is the the huge winner here, right? And he's now my highest-ranked Niners wideout at wide receiver 40. I put him ahead of Debo just to make it clear to anybody who's looking at my rankings, like, look, if you're going to invest in the Niners passing game, this is the guy outside of George Kittle. Uh, My main concern is that these receiver troubles for San Francisco are going to squash Jimmy Garoppolo's sleeper potential to some extent. I've been high on Jimmy G all offseason, but with weapons like this dropping like flies, I'm worried that like another run-heavy season could be on tap for the 49ers. Does, does this impact Garoppolo's evaluation in your mind? Well, he was a guy you, you kind of hit on. So, you know, you've got the two QB backgrounds. You're always looking at these guys. Uh, you know, the 49ers come out with that just really tremendous kind of outlook. You know, I mean, they've got Arizona, who he had his two best fantasy games of the year last year against Arizona. Well, I guess at the Saints game, too. But, you know, he was well in QB1 status, both those games against Arizona. Then they play the Jets, the Giants. 
Uh, then they have the Eagles and the Dolphins. So, I mean, for the first five games, you're going to be pretty excited for him as a streaming option. Yeah. Uh, you know, the question, obviously, in those games outside of Arizona, who was able to, you know, kind of match them in points that last year, but the two games that they played was, you know, were those going to be games anyways where you're counting on that positive game script in the first half to kind of just bleed into he's going to throw eight passes in the second half of these games like we saw happen in the postseason last year when they were up on teams. So, I mean, that's probably was going to be in the back of your mind anyways. But, I mean, I still think he's going to be, you know, pretty much in that bucket of streaming options to start the season. And one of those two QB guys you would like to think is undervalued uh, in that format because of the schedule and the opening. It's like, say, he's still got his number one guy is still going to be there. I mean, sure. listen, George, George Kittle is George Kittle's nothing. Nothing's wrong with him right now. So, I mean, he's going to be involved. And I still think just the system itself has done such a good job of, you know, creating, you know, space for guys and guys to really, you know, extenuate their ability to run after the catch. And, you know, Debo was a guy like that last year. He came on as it was the season went on. But like I said, Ayuk's in there. Kendrick Bourne, like I said, is a guy that they targeted in the end zone frequently. I believe he was just behind Kittle and end zone targets for the team. I still think that he's, you know, Jimmy Grapple is going to hang around there in that like streaming portion uh, at the front of the season. But I think you always will question, you know, if if the Dolphins, the Giants and the Jets and maybe even potentially the Cardinals, although I think that's less of a concern for us, if they're not able to keep pace with the scoreboard with the 49ers, is it going to be these grind out games uh, early in the season where you're going to have to get your passing points early in the game? So that, that's probably still going to exist. But, yeah, I still think he'll he'll flirt with QB1 status most of those weeks. Let's move to Jacksonville, where Reichwell Armstead is still on the reserve COVID-19 list. And you couple this with, you know, a lot of chatter in the fantasy bubble about Leonard Fournette, whether he's worth it at his cost or not. I'm, I'm not big on Leonard Fournette where he's going. I'm, I'm assuming you're kind of in that same bucket. And so if we agree that Leonard Fournette is overvalued, if we see that Reichwell Armstead, you know, might not be ready to start the season, do you have any interest in Chris Thompson or Divina Zigbo as late round fantasy options, maybe in that zero RB approach? It's tough. I think from a draft pick stance, it's hard to really want to, you know, roster those guys unless you're you're talking more to like talking 18 plus rounds and getting real deep or it's, you know, one of these best ball leagues. I still think you're going to need probably that midseason four net trade to kind of open up the doors here for most of these guys, even Armstead himself. I mean, you look at the week 17, Armstead played, what, 62% of snaps. Zigbo played 33%. Uh, Zigbo ended up with 12 touches. Armstead, 15. Now you would work in, you know, Chris Thompson if he's available those weeks. You know, Jay Gruden's kind of, you know, pass catcher. And, you know, Thompson, even last year at age 29, the weeks he played, if you just look at the weeks he played, he was seventh in running back targets and ninth in running back catches. He's locked into kind of that role in that system. And you remember when Jay Gruden got fired, you know, Chris Thompson was the guy like openly like wept to the media on like how good of friends they were. Uh, so, I mean, I mean Thompson's going to like, you know, narrative street applied, but he's going to probably occupy that role. I just think you, you just have to see what happens with the, how this Fournette thing plays out. I mean, do they take a guy they drafted the fourth overall pick four years ago and say, well, we're just going to take him for whatever pennies on the dollar during the course of the season? Or do they say, well, we're going to let him walk in for agency and we'll take the comp pick instead. The comp pick is going to be more valuable than anything we'll get. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And we've seen what Kenyon Drake last year. I mean, he was a guy who did nothing the front half of the season. And he gets that trade to a team that, you know, had her hole at running back, had injury to David Johnson. And then Chris Chase Edmonds, and he was an awesome, you know, running back the back half of the year. You know, he was a top 15 guy in a given week and then had some real spike moments that kind of were league winning moments, you know, in weeks 15 and week 16 last year. That's maybe like you're out for Fournette. Because uh, we just look at this Jaguars team in totality last year. I mean, they were four and four at one point last year. A lot of people forget that they're actually a competitive team. And then they, you know, they go 
what one and six uh the the rest of the way outside of that week 17 throwaway game they don't even score 20 more or more points in a game until that week 17 game after that point when they go from you know london on uh the, from that point on too you know fournette had already fallen off over those seven weeks he was uh, a top 20 scoring running back in just one of those games so it, I mean, this team was so bad last year. They're gonna be so bad again. They and we've got they've already lost two more defensive linemen. Uh, one, um, you know, Aaron Lynch retired yesterday. They had another defensive lineman that had to force to retire to a heart condition. Uh, this is this defense is gonna be really bad. They've gutted they've gutted that side of the ball. It's gonna be a real tough team to just grab attachment onto from a, a lead running back stance. It's hard for me to really want to invest myself into these guys. I would like to see, you know, Armstead or Zigbo get a shot and be kind of fantasy relevant. Maybe even a guy like James Robinson, who was an undrafted drafted guy that they brought uh, into the fold this year. But uh, I'm not really excited to own any Jaguars running backs at this at this stage. Yeah, the fact that they're going to be bad is one of the reasons that I'm still tempted by Chris Thompson mm-hmm. because he has that narrative. You said it with Jay Gruden, and if they are playing from behind a lot, I could see Thompson excelling in that pass catching role like you said when he was used like that last season he was good he was getting the volume that you would want to see from that type of role player and I think that that does have value potentially in PPR best ball formats uh Zigbo has been another guy that I've been tempted by in like the really deep best balls you know those 28 rounders over at the FFPC but in general with both these guys I, I always find myself gravitating just towards other players when I'm deciding between them and someone else and it has everything to do with what you just said. It's like, there's a little bit too much unknown here. Thompson is such an injury risk. We know that. And the team's going to be bad. So it's not necessarily one that we want to invest in. So uh, I agree with you in, in most cases, but you know, Thompson still has that little bit of allure to me and I, I can't quite let it go. Uh, but let's go to Tampa Bay. Let's talk about Justin Watson reportedly on the inside track for Tampa Bay's slot receiver role. I'm just not sure how much this matters because I could see the Bucks using a lot of 12 personnel and shifting their tight ends into the slot ahead of Watson, ahead of Scott Miller, or whoever owns that official title of you know number three wide receiver for the Buccaneers. Uh, so how much should fantasy owners care about these reports on Watson, do you think? Yeah, it looks like Scott Miller, too, is the guy getting the buzz today as we were recording <laughs> course, this. He was course. like the guy getting the buzz today. But, I mean, I, I think the way you look at this, though, is from a stance of, of Chris Godwin and how this impacts Chris Godwin. Uh, because they are probably going to play a lot more 12 personnel. Uh, but Godwin's probably going to play a lot more outside than he did last year. And he was a guy that was, you know, fourth in fantasy points generated from the slot last year. Dwayne McFarlane from Pro Football Focus has, you know, put out a tweet that, that, you know, his yards per route run were cut in half versus the slot and outside. I don't think we're going to have like a Cooper Cup situation because Godwin is built kind of, you know, like almost an X receiver anyways, where he can win outside as well. So I don't think we'll have that kind of, you know, declination in production where like Cup you know, in the Rams, the, the past final six weeks of the season, asked him to win more outside and he, his targets just fell off. Uh, Godwin won't be in that bucket, but he also is going to have less layups than he had last year. Mm-hmm. You know, those freebies where he can win in the slot. So, I mean, that's where I think the impact of, you know, kind of this whole Tampa Bay situation and transition this year into, you know, getting Gronk and having the depth at tight end and not really having a great wide receiver three or third wide receiver to get on the field. And um, they also don't have one of those guys that can win outside like they did, you know, with, with Rashad Perry and even for what he was so I mean the, you know Watson and Scott Miller that are our options here these are guys that are probably going to be more that are going to play more inside anyways when they're on the field so it's going to force Godwin to win more outside and, and you know have to earn more targets from the outside than getting these 
a lot of freebies he had last year doesn't mean he's not going to strictly play outside. He's definitely going to get slot, you know, routes and yeah. slot usage. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how, you know, I'm playing it is just, is, you know, uh, I'm looking at this buck situation. They're not going to have as much volume. I mean, you look at the turnovers, they're not going to have, they were first in the NFL on possessions last year. That's not going to happen this year. Um, you know, they, they're going to be able to protect the football a little bit more. They're not going to be able to run up probably as much play volume. And they have a defense that's capable of like really grounding, grounding teams out too. Mm-hmm. I mean, their secondary played really well. The final five weeks of last year, the front seven was good the entire season. Uh, and if they're able to protect the football, I mean, we might see their play volume kind of come down a little bit. It just depends if they play fast or not. Cause you know, Tom was a guy who liked to play some tempo uh, in new England. Uh, even last year when they were bad, they still were pretty fast, the Patriots. So, I mean, maybe we'll have some of that tempo offset it. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking at that third-party receiver spot and just really how it kind of, like, probably means that Godwin's not going to have quite the, uh, you know, the, the, the appetizer, you know, the, the little snacks uh, that kind of elevate his some weekly scoring games. I got one last little bit of news that I, I didn't share with you on the show notes uh, yesterday before we get to the wide receiver preview, and that's Nick Chubb suffering a concussion in Monday's practice. I just feel like there's a lot of time left before the season starts. And I say a lot of time, it's only three weeks, but (laughs) I feel like three weeks is probably enough time for him to deal with this and be ready to start the year. So I'm not too concerned about this report, but what do you think? Yeah, um, at this point, not too much. I mean, obviously, if, you know, it becomes a, a chronic issue, if he has to have another concussion or, I mean, did they even announce if he officially had a concussion or was he still just being tested? I think that came Um, out today that he is officially in the protocol. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, I didn't see that. So, yeah, I mean, he's probably going to be, you know, not doing anything for a week, and we're already behind the gun already with this, you know, shortened off season. So what that could eventually impact is, you know, if he's not getting the conditioning in that, you know, we see a conditioning-based injury kind of crop up, too. I mean, obviously, we don't want to be speculative to that degree, but, I mean, it could also be... You know, Edwin Porras from Fantasy Points did a study that showed in 2011, the last time we had a condensed offseason, which was much larger than this one, that conditioning-based injuries during the course of the season rose 38% that year. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's the biggest concern we all have. And, you know, yesterday we just had one day, and we had a litany of guys go down in just the first day. So this shortened offseason, I think, and you know, a lot of people were talking about how do we handle COVID during the season and, you know, adding our spots. But on top of COVID, we're going to have this really shortened offseason, and it might cause more actual regular injuries there might be fewer guys placed on covid reserve than we think and more guys actually suffering injuries than we believe um and so i mean yeah you feel like she's losing a week of practice basically uh and we were only going to have three weeks before the season so that could be a big deal it could be a slower start maybe they have a little more of a tandem i don't know there's so much speculation about what the browns are going to do and are they going to look like the 2019 vikings are they good you know what i mean all this yeah. stuff that's surrounding kevin Stefanski that no one really has an answer to because Stefan fancy's called plays for what 21 career games in the nfl and he was had a similar roster and you know last year what the vikings did definitely was probably part of what mike zimmer wanted to do so we need to see some of the influence on that and then the injuries they had i mean they had no wide receiver too basically the whole year and he only played 40 percent of the snaps you know, they had to play really just Stefan Diggs. They had to really kind of alter their approach probably in what they even they wanted to uh, in terms of using their personnel. So, I mean, you're, you're, he's getting Jarvis Landry. He's going to have Odell Beckham. They've got they bring in Austin Hooper. He's got these other two good backs that have shown to have RB1 caliber production. Uh, there's a lot up in the air to see what this Browns team does. I don't think it would be a direct overlap supremely to what the Vikings did. And I still think Kevin Spancy has a lot to show us as a coordinator before we have any absolutes of exactly what he's going to do with these guys. All right, so let's get into the wide receiver preview. And I want to start with another team that is pretty nebulous. We're not exactly sure what their offense is going to look like just because there are so many new pieces there, and that's Washington. I want to do a little bit of a callback 
to last episode in the running back preview where we discussed Antonio Gibson's value after Washington's release of Darius Geis. But in some formats, you'll see Gibson listed as a wide receiver. And so I'm curious where you would rank him or how you would evaluate Gibson in leagues where he has that wide receiver designation, not a running back designation. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, he, he would probably be way down off the board. He has way more value as a running back than yeah. a wide receiver. Absolutely, like 100%. When you just look at the how tangible running back points are compared to wide receiver points, I mean, a 10-point PPR game does is a blip on the radar as a wide receiver. Like, you're barely a, fle- you're, you know, you're barely a flex option. Like you're definitely not a top 36 option uh, at wide receiver PPR formats, even with double-digit fantasy points, whereas running back, that's knocking on the door. It's like a top 24 back on a weekly scoring level and output. So he just has a lot more value as running back um, i was one of the things concerned this offseason was because you know my fantasy league and number sites just had him as a, a wide receiver coming into the draft process and after the draft it got changed after it was announced he was drafted as running back but one of my concerns about him was like if this guy doesn't get running back positional value it's going to really ding his outlook so i mean if you have him in a league where he's only a wide receiver i believe fan tracks he still is only a wide receiver which is a problem for him you want him to play a running back for you otherwise he's he could be russell gage sure you know you're not there's nothing exciting there's nothing exciting there for that now obviously if he turned into you know christian mccaffrey alva kamara like but then you still want to play him at running back he still has more of a positional edge over outscoring running backs so i mean he really is not an exciting wide receiver option to me on any level uh i want him to be a running back if i'm pursuing him I still think that there's uh, the upside there. He has a lot more upside at running back, too, anyways, like we just kind of hit on in that RB3, you know, RB4 kind of fringe strike zone to where if like, hey, this maybe it's potential for this guy to be a poor man's Alvin Kamara. We don't know. He doesn't have, you know, the supreme usage. But any guy that has 1,100 yards at 770 touches in a season is kind of worth kind of exploring the upside on, even if you're wrong, especially when you're talking about like an area where he goes like in the running back zone of like, you know, the James white or someone like that, who like you kind of hit upon with Chris Thompson, those guys counterintuitive to belief. Like those guys are better best ball options than they are, you know, a weekly, you know, seasonally options because you're going to leave a lot of points from those guys on your bench, just trying to predict game script, you know, trying to get those guys right weekly. Whereas in a best ball, you get those spike weeks, you don't have to predict game script and you can take the, and you can take those points on as they come and don't, don't worry about the floor moments. But, um, you know, a lot of people think them as more as like a safety net in a big PPR format, like as an RB three or flex, but they're way better in best, best balls than, than season weekly leagues. Uh, I hope he doesn't become that, but I think that when he's in that strike zone of those guys and you say like, all right, well, if he can somehow get his way to 150, 175 touches, uh, that's a team that's starving for playmakers. Uh, they're starving for playmakers in the passing game, in the running game, their offensive line for those question marks, Dwayne Haskins has a lot of room to prove that he's you know capable of being quarterback i mean yep. i know uh, our good friend sal would love to see alex smith get another shot so i mean i think that the short yards passing game is going to be a real part of what they do anyways just given their offensive line and personnel outside of terry mclaurin so there's a chance for him to catch a lot of balls i don't know what kind of rushing involvement we're actually going to see from him as he transitions this guy had 33 carries only in college as a running back so i mean projecting him for like 150 nfl carries is probably pretty aggressive so, I mean, yeah, I don't know. But we want him to be a running back. Just ignore him if he's a wide receiver. I don't, say, I don't maybe ignore is the wrong verbiage to use there. But uh, he has a way more uh, exponential value as a running back than wide receiver. Yeah, I think we need to know or we want to know whether he's going to be deployed more like a rusher or a receiver. And I think the assumption at this point is that he's going to be more like a running back. And at that point, we have to question how often we might want a running back type player plugged in at one of the wide receiver spots on our rosters. And as you said, that's just not that desirable. Like even in PPR, 
if if he's catching a lot of passes out of the backfield, you'd still rather use him at running back than at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, the the more flex spots you have, you know, the spots where you could play a running back or a wide receiver, then the less valuable I think any sort of like dual eligibility might become because your roster already builds in flexibility between those different positions. Um, so so I don't I haven't seen Gibson have dual eligibility anywhere, but in the end, I think it would only really give him any extra value in that case if there weren't any flex spots on your roster in the first place. Um, have, have you seen Gibson with dual eligibility in, in any leagues yet? And would that move the needle for you at all? Would that make him more valuable in your mind? I haven't. I've seen him just kind of have the the one or the other designation. I don't know if uh, a lot of places are going through that. I think what ESPN gave Taysom Hill tight end eligibility this year. One of the sites gave Taysom Hill tight end eligibility. It might be ESPN. I'm trying to think of those. But I think after the Jalen Samuels fiasco a couple years ago, that, uh, <laughs> more, more more sites are leaning towards just the one position eligibility, and then they'll change it as it goes. Because uh, like I said, I mean, Gibson was a guy who opened up universally as wide receiver, and they changed it. Lynn Bowden was, I believe, in a similar boat where yep. uh, he opened as a wide receiver in some spots too, and then you know transitioned just to wide receiver. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I haven't seen him that at, at any sites. I mean, some, someone please correct us if we're wrong, but I know I have seen him only as a wide receiver on fan tracks. Cause I did a draft over there recently, MFL running back, FFPC running back. Yeah. Someone let us know if that's, if that's the case, but I wouldn't have more intrigue for the reasons you laid out and that we want him as a running back anyways. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think that in general, <laughs> that, that is what makes dual eligibility a little bit overrated in my mind. It's just because typically you're going to want to start the player at one position or the other. Now the rub is if you get a player who produces like a wide receiver who has tight end eligibility, you know, tight end is such a wasteland that you might actually be really in favor of that sort of uh, dual eligibility. That makes me think of, uh, the early days of Marquez Colston. I think what he had wide receiver and tight end eligibility. But anyway, we're, we're off in the weeds here. Let's get back to <laughs> the primary topic here. And let's talk big picture when it comes to wide receivers. What's your tweet length summary of your approach to the position in fantasy football, Rich? The average baseline wide receiver production is just far more functional than running back baseline production. That's really, that's really it. So like, apply that a number of ways. That we just know that the baseline score at wide receiver on a given week or in a given season is just going to provide a higher level of percentage of the scoring as the highest score than running back will. That's what makes running backs more valuable. Even when wide receivers are healthier, they score more points outside of the top tier. They're far more projectable. Uh, we're way better at setting a, the ADP uh, at wide receiver than any other position. Uh, the correlation to points, uh, fans points scored per game in ADP is best at wide receiver. But the Game theory part of it is that running back ones are what matter the most, uh, and running back points that aren't above are above the baseline are what's good. Uh, average running back points are the worst thing you can have in your fantasy lineup. They are by far the worst thing that you can have in your lineup. They're worse than average quarterback points, worse than average tight end points. By far, like I said, worse than wide receiver points. So that's what elevates and what really steers you know running backs going early in fantasy drafts because people want as many bites as the bullet at having running back points that actually matter. Does it always work out the way we want to? No, but there's a reason that's the lowest hanging branch. And when you have the transition like wide receiver position has had recently where more wide receivers are playing on the field, 
the wider the delta between the wide receiver ones, the wide receiver twos, and the wide receiver threes has, has just just shrunk over the past five years. Uh, wide receiver ones are not holding the advantage that they've had uh, in leagues. So I mean, it just really has kind of accelerated the point of why how we got here to why running backs are the most expensive they've ever been. Uh, when you look at running back ADPs compared to years past, I and mean, we have seen a lot of elevation in the position, and that's kind of how drafts have played out uh, this summer. I mean, if you're in a draft, I'm sure you know. Yeah. Uh, running running backs are flying and wide receivers are hanging on. So, I mean, I I definitely think there's a lot of safety in a lot of the receivers from a projectability stance. Like, I think, like, where, like, you know, Michael Thomas goes, or Julio Jones especially, where he goes, like, because he doesn't even go in the first round anymore. Uh, he's basically, like, a front second-round pick. He has a lot more stability in, like, a guys that we've elevated that don't really have the career resumes and take more projectability, like a Miles Sanders or a Kenyon Drake or an Austin Eckler. There's more safety there, but, you know, the position scarcity of running back and then the depth of wide receiver and, and Julio Jones himself not holding the advantage over his peers that, you know, he held five, six years ago uh, at the position uh, has really caused, you know, running backs to go really highly. So, I mean, like I said, I, I think that those guys are – are really fine draft picks, and if you take a wide receiver there, I don't think you'll really necessarily be let down uh, for the production that individual player will give you. It's just that average wide receiver play is a lot more usable in your lineup than it is any other position, and especially running backs. So that's kind of what has led us to kind of uh, kind of maybe misnomering it as a deep position. Uh, sure. I don't think the high scores are deep. We don't have we don't have a lot of depth of like wide receivers that are difference makers. But um, wide receiver baseline production is absolutely unequivocally more useful in your lineup uh, than, than anything else. So, I mean, that's what's kind of caused us to attacking the position from a depth stance. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because those true high-volume studs that you talked about, those first and second rounders, really are nearly as valuable as their bell cow running back counterparts. But the middle rounds are stocked with so many different arbitrage opportunities on those players mm-hmm. because of the depth, because of that average playability of the position that you're not quite as incentivized to go after those stud wide receivers in the early rounds. I think you can still find yourself in a position in a draft where you just don't trust the running back options that are left to you. And at that point you pivot, you go towards that safety. And I think there might be more of an argument for that with the wide receivers early this year, based upon what you talked about earlier with limited training camp, potentially leaning to more injuries, more just uh Uh, conditioning injuries and stuff like that like that projectability of the wide receivers might make them slightly more valuable this season but you still want to get those stud running backs and you can't really avoid that so no matter how you slice it like that's got to be in the back of your mind at all times and so with the wide receivers I tend to just play for a mix of those high floor guys from the early rounds maybe get one or two studs within the first four rounds and then just kind of shoot for a lot of high upside options and, and other values as you go deeper down ADP it's it's not super straightforward, uh, but I, I think we're getting better at it to, to be sure. Like like you said, like the market is is relatively sharp in terms of what we want on our rosters, and that makes it really interesting because knowing when to pivot becomes so much more critical uh, in those first two rounds, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we talked about too. You know, the you know running backs are more expensive than ever. Uh, you know, you, you look at right now in current ADP, the, the running back twelve is pick sixteen overall wow. in PPR leagues. Uh, and the RB twenty four is pick fifty six. The RB thirty six at the pick ninety two. That's way above where we've been. You know, you look at the previous decade. You know, the 
uh, RB12 typically held a ADP of 27.4. And, you know, the, granted, we had a, a shift where wide receivers became more important and all this stuff, you know, tends to oscillate, you know, like fantasy does. We, we tend to chase what happened last year. We talked a little bit before the show and then some things change up on us. Running backs also are just definitely, we have to go in with the mindset of that, you know, these guys are not going to be as healthy as last year. Last year's top 12 running backs in ADP combined just to miss 19 games a year ago. Uh, that was by far the, the, the lowest of the past decade. Decade. Uh, the pre- previous low was uh, in 2013. The collective, they collectively missed 25 games. Uh, previously, it was 56, 38, 33, 46, 39, 25, 29, 36. They were way, 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 way the healthiest they've ever been. And that really kind of, you know, how the season went last year because wide receivers weren't as healthy. Running backs, uh, you know, continued to hold their edge and the, and the top guys didn't miss. The problem is, like you said, though, like we can come up with all these different ways to say, like, yeah, wide receivers have a chance to be more valuable, but the, the, it all comes down to still just about in every fantasy season is who's, who has the best running backs. Cause like I said, they just provide the biggest positional leverage and you don't get typically high scoring running backs unless you pay for them. Uh, so we're going to have to go in with the mindset of like, yeah, one of these guys might be hurt for me. That's why I'm going to take two and, and, you know, so on and so forth and pers- keeps pursuing the running back. Cause like you said, it's just really, we can adjust, but your only chance to get those running backs are, are there at that point in the draft. And then the wide receiver position definitely holds an advantage and they have historically, even outside this year, uh, you know, from the RB two levels to the wide receiver three levels, they've just been more projectable. They score more points. Uh, they hit at a higher rate. They bust at a less frequent rate and it's always made them more valuable draft picks at those spots. And I think that this year it's even more than ever because of just the heightened uh adps of that running backs that are in the top 15 that once you get to like rb 16 17 like i don't want to take the rb 17 in the second round uh, you know if i have if i had the first pick overall i don't want to take the rb 18 which is you know that in that strike zone of trap spots just because i want to chase running back it's it's really hard it's really tricky it's made the conversation fun this year yeah uh because there's no it's you know everyone's kind of right from the, the stance they're arguing it and it's what makes it fun it allows a lot of variance in the fantasy football and a lot of drafts but the way more drafts are playing out uh and, and i'm sure anyone can test to it is that these running backs are just flying off the board asap but uh, you're, you're not gonna catch me i'm not gonna be the guy taking david johnson in the third round man it's not gonna be me yeah, me neither. And th- there are like there's so many good wide receivers in that range, and we're going to start to go through some individual players at the wide receiver position, starting at the top. But before we get to that, uh, let's take a break for a sponsor of this show, Manscaped.com. And I've been plugging Manscaped for a couple episodes now, and after last week's show, I finally received my new trimmer in the mail. First of all, the packaging was on point. And I was impressed by all the extra grooming supplies that are offered by Manscaped from ball deodorizer to their own brand of hair and body wash. But let's be real. What I really wanted to see was if their claims about a safer shave of the old scrot were legit. Because <laughs> I've had more trimming accidents with my old trimmer uh, than I'd like to recount. And I've got to say, this new trimmer from Manscaped did not disappoint. No nicks, no pulls, no pain at all. Just a simple and easy experience with the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Honestly, I've never felt less nervous about grooming below the belt because the engineering team at Manscaped spent 18 months perfecting this thing. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. On 
top of their top-notch blade, the Lawnmower 3.0, also features a bunch of other quality uh, additions. The battery will last up to 90 minutes, so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. And this thing has an LED light to illuminate grooming areas for a closer and more precise trim. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology, and the USB charging stand is super sleek and low profile, which my wife appreciates because bathroom counter space uh, is at a premium in our house, and that's her zone. That does not belong to me. Uh, I've come away very impressed with my new Lawnmower 3.0, and I want you to experience it too. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's manscaped.com with the promo code TMAP. T-M-A-P, like the most accurate podcast, for a 20% discount and free shipping. So order today. Your nether regions and your partner will thank you. All right, Rich, thanks for uh, bearing with me while I talked about my junk. Uh, Let's talk wide receivers again. Up at the top, is Michael Thomas your wide receiver one or is it somebody else? It housed four for four and replaced someone with an ad read like that. They they can't. They really can't. That's what it comes down to. (laughs) <laughs> oh man i was thinking i was like oh four four is really losing out here they're not gonna have anyone to fill these shoes <laughs> uh, but no i actually don't i actually don't have michael thomas as my wide receiver one um i have Devonte adams uh it's it's become more of a popular take i was I, I think i was early to it though i mean i remember kind of it really hasn't changed for me all year only because he's set up to be this year is michael thomas yeah michael thomas i still believe has an ultra high floor and if you took him as wide receiver one i definitely wouldn't push back but you know when saying like from projectable stance who do i believe has the best odds to be wide receiver one i think it is Devonte adams um you look at his last 10 games last year he scored fewer than 18.9 ppr points just twice uh, they had no viable pass catchers in the offense, which has kind of been a, a theme of the offseason. The one guy they did add, Devin Funches, opted out. Uh, but over those final 10 games, he accounted for, Devontae Adams has accounted for 33.4% of the Green Bay targets, 34.4% of the catches, 41% of the receiving yards, 50% of the receiving, receiving touchdowns, and averaged 2.6 yards per team pass attempt. Compared for the season, Michael Thomas was at 33% of the Saints targets, 35% of the team catches, 39% of the yards, 25% of the touchdowns was at 2.9 yards per pass attempt he's really kind of geared into this how michael thomas was used uh and michael thomas this year is adding you know they add emmanuel sanders you know michael thomas has had 119 97 and 51 more catches the past three years than the next highest saints wide receiver that will come in a little bit i believe he had 185 targets last year. Prior to last year, Thomas's career high was 149. I believe he'll come right back into that 140, 150 target range, whereas Adams probably can push more to be that 170 target guy. And he's also shown to be efficient, and he's shown to be a high touchdown scorer, which Michael Thomas actually never has really shown yet yeah. to this degree. Uh, you know, where Adams has you know the most touched receiving touchdowns over the past four years in the NFL. So that's just kind of how I'm playing. I also think the Packers also are going to have to be forced to throw more than. Uh, they would like to let us on that they're going to have to or what they even intend to. I mean, this is a team that went 13 and three last year. Their, you know, their, their expected win total was 10 games, so they got a little bit lucky. Uh, they led for the second lowest amount of snaps uh, than any NFC playoff team last year over the course of the season. So they got a little bit lucky in terms of game script and probably what they should have had. Uh, so, I mean, I think that they're going to end up having to probably throw more than they intend to, or even when we look at their roster and we say, like, yeah, well, they're going to have to run. Game script is a, is, it's a you know a, a bastard like that. It makes it forces teams do what they have to do in the second half of games, and that's typically where we see pass volume come from. So I do have Adams there. Like I said, if you if you are you just want to go with the tried and true, I have no problem with that too. Michael Thomas is ultra safe and very good at what he does. Yeah, I, 
I was late to this take because Thomas just felt so safe at the top of the wide receiver rankings, but I did eventually come around to Adams as my number one guy for all the reasons you laid out. He just looks like this year's Michael Thomas. You can't really get around it. With the Saints adding Emmanuel Sanders, presumably having a healthy Alvin Kamara this year, it's pushed me off Thomas to some extent. It just took me a little while to get there. How many running backs are you taking ahead of Adams in that first round, Rich? Probably... Eight or nine. I mean, in in rankings, I think I can see the argument, like I said, for those guys, those running backs. Like, there's a real argument to make for Adams and Thomas ahead of the tier of Mixon, Miles Sanders, Clyde Mm -hmm. Edwards-Hilaire. Because just because from a a safety standpoint, we don't really even know what those players are yet. You know, we don't know where their ceiling truly lies. Well, and you might be able to get one of those running backs around in the second. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it depends where your draft slot is. Definitely, if you're towards the back end of the first, you really can go one-on-one if you want. Uh, I've seen a couple teams recently have been able to get both these guys because the way running the running back thing is gone, like the way running backs have been elevated, they're just pushing it down. And I've seen a couple teams start wide receiver with both Adams and Thomas, which is kind of intriguing to me a little bit. Uh, but like I said, it, it makes a, a kind of a, a conundrum because then you're just chasing running back in this year more than ever. Uh, and you're going to need to get lucky in some spots which historically aren't lucky RB1 spots. But uh, I'm probably still going to take uh, Miles Sanders or Clyde Slayer even over over them just because. I want to, like I said, hit that, that chase that that running back ghost a little bit. I mean, I know that at the best Michael Thomas is and the best Devontae Adams is compared to what the best running back can be, it's just a larger advantage for my teams. And, you know, and Michael Thomas also is going to come back to the pack. I mean, he had the highest – he scored the most amount of points compared to the wide receiver two in terms of the wide receiver two scoring percentage amount of points to him as the wide receiver one last year um, since the NFL merger in 1970. Wow. So I think it'll be a lot tighter this year. You know, it's just going to be – honestly, it was that way for every position. Um, last year, I believe, was the most top-heavy fantasy position in the history of the NFL. I mean, you look at Christian McCaffrey. He had – he had a larger gap of points scored over the running back two. In uh, all any of those seasons, if you go back to the highest scoring in running back seasons, I mean, LaDainian Thomas in 2006, the Marshall Falk years, it was just by far the highest scoring running back season. I mean, Aaron Jones is the RB2 and only had 67% of Christian McCaffrey's points. You know, you look at the uh, LaDainian Thomas in 2006, Steven Jackson was the RB2. He still made up 87% of LaDainian Thomas' points this year. This is kind of edge Christian McCaffrey provided last year. Chris Godwin was the lowest scoring wide receiver too uh, since the 1987 season, and he only produced 73.7% of Michael Thomas's points at wide receiver one. The previous, you know, decade, the wide receiver two produced 99%, 99%, 99%, 95%, 89%, 98%, 97%, 93% points of the wide receiver one. Uh, we're not going to see a gap like that. To, I think the number no. wide receiver one in the field this year, or the RB one in the field this year, and even the quarterback one to the field this year uh, between Lamar Jackson. Because he also had the you know the highest you know scoring differential to the QB two for any season in the past decade. So I mean I think last year was just a, a really and some teams had two of these guys or two or three of these guys put together on teams. I had a team that had Christian McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson on it last year, and they just it just every week I started with like a seventy point like lead on my opponent. Uh, so if you had any of those guys paired up, like the advantage they provide compared to the field was just m- monstrous. Uh, and I don't think we'll see that this year. I think it'll be tightened up across the board and uh we won't see quite as a uh, positional leverage just belong to one player at all these spots again yeah that makes sense i mean that's what history tells us that's how it's classically been <laughs> last year was the outlier not the not the the norm but um let's get back to wide receivers here i want to talk about that idea that when we take wide receivers early we're doing it because they're safer but with that said 
that means if you miss on one of those early pick wideouts, you're really screwing yourself. And so I'm wondering which of the wideouts in the first two or three rounds do you think have the most trap potential to you? I think that the two guys, one I mentioned was Godwin, just because I think there's a little bit unknown of where his actual floor lies, his fantasy floor. Like, we know where the ceiling can get to, but we're going to see him, like I said, probably play more outside. They've got a quarterback change. They might just not have as much team value again. Uh, I also think he's a little bit uh, arbitrageable compared to some guys, too. I mean, you know, sure. I think, like, a guy like Juju Smith-Sushu is used in a very similar capacity to Chris Godwin, and you can just wait and get him a little bit cheaper. So, I mean, I'm not down on Godwin by any means. I just think that, you know, he's a guy that I don't think has that top five, you know, upside that he held last year. Uh, and he's still, you know, kind of being drafted right there. Uh, I actually kind of believe that Evans is the better value of the two, but he still goes really highly as well. Uh, just if you're forcing me to say who was the better guy at cost, I would probably sure. side more with Evans. Um, and I'm excited to see what Evans does with the real quarterbacks. You know, a lot of people talk about the narrative that, you know, obviously Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick, the, the Fitzpatrick war rig uh, that he is, <laughs> just the fantasy juggernaut he is, uh, are, you know, those hyper-aggressive passes were good for Evans. But Evans' bugaboo has always been his floor compared to Ryder receiver peers at his target what if brady makes mike evans floor a lot better than it's ever been which is something that i don't really hear discussed a lot because mike evans isn't one of these guys that like doesn't separate can't get open he does get open and he can win a little bit on the intermediate level uh and win in these one-on-one matchups so i mean what if brady actually helps his floor what if like winston and those hyper aggressive guys that obviously led to some 40 point games for mike evans uh, we're the we're part of the you know the process of why he would throw these eggs up for us at a higher rate than some of these other wide receiver ones. What if you know Tom Brady allows mm-hmm. his floor to be higher? That's something that's not really explored often. And then obviously I think that it's not an unpopular take by any means. I'm not really reinventing the wheel here, but DeAndre Hopkins just I have not been drafting him at all. Uh, one of my favorite players to like from a real football stance too, and sure. I think he can he can be one of these guys that that can win changing teams the way he wins. I and mean, when you look at these wide receivers that change teams and were successful, the Brandon Marshalls and the Anquan Boldens, he's in that ilk of he wins with his body. He's the quarterback's best friend. He's open when he's not. Yep. Uh, you know, the, but you know the targets are probably going to come down. We've seen him already kind of tail off a little bit last year, just in terms of usage. He set career lows in yards per catch, yards per target. Uh, his A dot really fell off last year i think his eight out is probably not going to bounce back in that arizona offense you know a lot of people think of the air raid and it's not the air raid isn't a system that takes like these long downfield shots and it's moving the ball downfield they run a lot of mesh a lot of crossers they're getting the ball out of the out of their quarterback's hands fast uh they rely on a little bit of, of yak and hopkins is probably not going to see a significant change in his eight out from last year you know that may hurt him from like getting back to the ceiling status that he had so he's just not a guy I've been drafting a lot, especially with this, you know, continuity factor of this year, the changing teams. But I mean, he's he's caught pass from Tom Savage, Brock Osweiler. So I think he's a very <laughs> good football player. He just hasn't been a guy I felt the urge to really bite uh, to bite on in that second round at, at his cost. Yeah, two of the guys that I'm worried about. The first is Amari Cooper. He's going in the early third round most of the time. Michael Gallup's workload started to equilibrate with Cooper's down the stretch last season, and the Cowboys added C.D. Lamb in the draft, obviously. So I just don't know if the targets are necessarily going to be there for Cooper this season to pay back that third-round price tag, especially when there are so many other viable receiver candidates to potentially draft in that range, one of which is Kenny Galladay, who also concerns me a little bit. 
I have some problems with the expectations for Matthew Stafford. He posted career-high efficiency numbers on a small sample size last season, and that efficiency cascaded to his receivers, Galladay in particular, who scored 11 touchdowns on 65 receptions. That comes out to a touchdown every 5.9 catches, which was the second-highest mark from last season among receivers who had at least 45 targets. I still like Galladay because his role is locked in. You know the targets are going to be there. They're going to continue to flow. But if Stafford regresses a bit towards his career norms, I could see Galladay falling back to earth a little bit. Or I guess I should say I could see him falling back to that pack of wide receivers that are going around him or after him in drafts. Um, do Do you have any issues with Cooper or Galladay at their costs? Yeah, Cooper I've talked about a lot. I mean, it's, you know, this offseason, and he's just one of these guys that, yeah, I mean, I just, I look at that Cowboy situation, I'm just going to buy the cow. I'm not buying any of the milk. I'm just going to get Dak Prescott if I can, if he falls to a spot. Like, that's how I want to, would prefer to play the Cowboy situation. Or I just take the cheapest of the guys, and, you know, we go Gallup or CeeDee Lamb when they fall. Um, and then if you really want to get cute, Jarwin, but I just don't know if he's going to have enough targets, uh, or be high enough in the pecking order there on the, on the, on the ladder. I'm glad you brought the Stafford things. I, I, Everyone has just beat this narrative. You know, Stafford was on pace to be the QB two narrative. You know, extrapolate every season. I hate it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, and it's really driven me crazy. I mean, I even wrote in our tears. He had that production, but he also had the fifth easiest schedule over the front half. Then the Lions had the twenty eighth hardest passing schedule over the back half, and we probably would have seen a lot of those career highs. Uh, you know, he had a career high, you know, yards for passing, but you said career high touchdown, right? Those all probably would have seen had some regression during the course of last season that we would have acknowledged over a full season. Um, I mean, where where you are excited if you if you do are high on Matt Stafford is just the usage factor, you know, him his his a dot and you know taking more shots downfield that is real. Like that is something we can probably count on rolling over, and you know that's where you know Galladay and and Marvin Jones get their targets anyways. Uh, Galladay, I thought I was going to be down on and then came out just to be like, kind of, I think he's just kind of like, okay, priced. I think he's fine because of the types of targets he gets. And you look at over his career, he's only 22nd in the top four receivers in AV, he's only 22nd in targets per game, but he's top 15 of all these players in rate of targets on deep balls, rate of targets in the end zone, rate of targets inside the 10. So like, he's a guy too, that we might look at overall target count. And yeah, he's not going to get as many targets as a Robert Woods by any means, but the targets he does get are really hyper-weighted uh, for fantasy football. If Even with some efficiency, you know, kind of recoil in the scoring department, the types of targets he gets do matter, and they do carry a lot of that weight, that scoring weight. So I think that he still is a guy that can overcome being a 110-target guy compared to, you know, guys in his ADP that are probably going to have 125, 130 targets. But uh yeah, I would expect some of that, uh, you know, efficiency to come down. But I'm glad you brought the Stafford thing because I've also been on that train of, of being saying like you can't do that. You can't you can't just take the guy's stats cut in half and say he would have been the QB too. I hate it. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so that's what we're looking at in the early rounds. But if your draft plays out in a way where you don't draft many or any wide receivers early, you take that approach where you're trying to hammer that RB position in the first two or three rounds. Who are your preferred targets of wide receiver beyond that, say in like the fourth, fifth, or sixth rounds? Well, I mean, the guy I'm instantly I'm, I'm trying to get the most of where he goes. I still think he's undervalued. Is Adam Thielen probably a little early of what you said? He's up into the third round. I, but yeah, I, I love his outlook too. Yeah, and he goes in the fourth round a lot of like FFPZ formats, but like the running backs are really like taking hold of ADP. But then I'm going to that tier of guys that just show like all this upside. I mean, we've got, you know, that strike zone of Terry McLaurin, DJ Shark, Devontae Parker, you know, Will Fuller, uh, Calvin Ridley. Like that group of guys, DK Metcalf, uh, that group of guys is kind of like priced into like where they should be, but also like all those guys. 
you can make a really good argument that they'll be more expensive next year. Sure. But you can make a real good path to those guys where they're real. They're a lot more expensive next year than even where they are now. So like I, that's the strike zone where I'm trying to usually get two to three of those guys, depending, you know, uh, you know how it plays out in my draft. But uh, I, like I said, I have no problem with like, you know, having a guy like Thielen as my wide receiver one or an Allen Robinson as my wide receiver one. AJ Browns, the Tyler Lockett's, the DKs. That's like that strike zone of guys. I mean, it's, I like I like a lot of those guys. Yeah. You know, when you look at the types of targets those guys get, um, that's kind of really the hotbed for me. Uh, that's really where it's playing out, where I'm really stacking and pursuing the position. Because like I said, those are also the guys that are going against all these running backs that have been historically a bad bet. And these running backs I have a tough time making an internal case for. I have a hard time making an internal case for rostering Leonard Fournette, uh, you know, David Johnson, uh, some of these guys. And that's where these guys go up against these guys in ADP, uh, the Raheem Mostert to the world. So that's just really where I've been shopping. And that's not, I don't think, an uncommon take either. But listen, man, sometimes the most obvious answer isn't always the wrong answer. I know over the, like, everyone in the fantasy just wants to do the zigzag thing. But, <laughs> you know, so, sometimes, sometimes we know what we're talking about. Now, we can try to reverse engineer that idea of guys who are going to be ranked higher next season, right? And and look at guys who were higher ranked last year and apply that to this year's ADP. And I see Odell Beckham Jr., Juju Smith-Schuster yep. as these guys who have elite wide receiver pedigrees that are being devalued based upon recency bias from last season. Do you have any interest in OBJ and Juju? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, both guys. I mean, everything just went wrong that could go wrong for those guys last year. I mean, you talk about health. I mean, Juju had four different injuries. Then you talk about, uh, you know, quarterback situation. He dealt with the worst quarterback situation in arguably the NFL last year. I mean, the Steelers lost the most amount of passing yardage from one season to the next in NFL history from 2018 to 2019. It was just a, it was a sunk ship from the beginning. I mean, for Juju. So I like him to bounce back. He didn't give us any answers is the problem, too, I think, with Juju, too. And I think that's a lot of people, you know, are, are latching on to is that we didn't see him win as a wide receiver one. Granted, he only had a six-quarter sample size to base it off of. But sure. we just didn't get any of the answers. Uh, so I think a lot of people are kind of, you know, just hedging one foot in, one foot out on him. Odell's the same way. Played through that sports hernia injury, was a, was a wide receiver changing teams. With, a, with, you know, quarterback rapport was a problem. He had by far the least amount of catchable targets he had in his career uh, last year. And then they also faced the number one passing schedule as it played out last year. The Browns had the, the, by far the worst passing schedule in the NFL. Uh, so, I mean, I'm interested in a little bit just because he's shown from a talent perspective that he has the wider, being the wide receiver one in his range of outcomes. So no problem that. Uh, I mean, Jarvis Landry is still also undervalued, too. I mean, yep. I think that for as much as we talk about Gallup versus Cooper, Landry to Beckham is also an equal kind of uh, footing argument. Even going back to LSU, anytime Landry and Beckham have played together, Landry's been the more productive receiver uh, and was so last year again. I think a lot of people were just worried about that hip injury. So him not starting on the PUP was kind of a a big open door. And I just did an article this week on, you know, the stats that matter at wide receiver and the correlation and stuff that rolls over year to year that you could check out. And Jarvis Landry was the one name that kept popping up in all these different categories of these stats that matter. Hmm. And uh, he was just consistently popping up. And, you know, we did like a little scoreboard thing at the end of the post. And it was like, yeah, he he, re- he checked the most boxes. Uh, to being a value. So I wonder if his ADP will even jump this year or not, you know, because everyone likes all those wide receivers we just talked about. Um, but he definitely is is striking me as someone that I haven't been drafting enough of and should probably get back in here with this wide receiver 30 price tag. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, who do you think is 2020's most overvalued wide receiver? For me, I think it, it's Cooper, based upon all the you know cases I made earlier uh, against him at his price. Uh, but who is it for you? 
Yeah, I mean, those are all great options. Cooper, uh, Hopkins, Godwin. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say just those two. I would say more latch on to probably Godwin Hopkins just because they're in the second round. Sure. Whereas, you know, you get a little more like Cooper, a little more movement on him. Sometimes, you know, he's typically a late third, but sometimes early fourth uh, to where if, you know, like Cooper is he could be your wide receiver, too. But if you have Godwin or Hopkins, they are probably your wide receiver one. Yeah, the price matters. That makes a lot of sense. So in that sense, like Cooper is still like a spike week production guy as your wide receiver, too, and maybe ends up being a little uh, overvalued overall. It's a little bit different for your roster than if Hopkins is a disappointment or Godwin's a disappointment. So I would say I would probably lean more to those two guys, but I definitely am with you. I'm below market on uh, on those guys, though, as well, Cooper included. Who's your most undervalued wide receiver? It sounds like it might be Jarvis Landry. It's, I mean, yeah, I'm starting to get to that shift. I mean, I still think Thielen is supremely undervalued. I mean, I... My whole, like a lot of my draft plan revolves around Thielen, depending on my draft slot, because I'll take him in the early third if I'm in a in a sharp league that I know is valuing wide receiver because I know he won't come back. But then there's also times where I'll be cute and understand like ADP, yep. like could push him into the fourth because he's like right around like wide receiver, like 12 to 14 for a lot of guys and wide receiver 15. So it's been highly running back through three rounds and I'm picking in the back of the third. I might say, well, like, all right, I know the room's going to take Allen Robinson ahead of Thielen, or they're going to take Juju Smith-Schuster ahead of Thielen, and I can say, like, well, I'll roster one of those guys first and come back and get Thielen. But in leagues where I know I can't get Thielen, I will reach on Thielen. Man, is the situation set up so good for him this year uh, as well? Like we talked about, kind of a, you know, not quite Devontae Adams-esque, but he's going to occupy such a large portion of the team targets uh, for the Vikings. And, you know, when he was healthy those six weeks last year, he had 25% of team targets already. And I think when people associate themselves with Thielen, I don't know if it's the Caucasian wide receiver narrative, but I think the thought is that he's Julian Edelman, but he's not. This is a guy that's averaged, like, just a volume-based, like, slot guy. But this is a guy that, one, he's probably, he's probably going to play a slot that much this year with Justin Jefferson on the roster. But he's a guy that's averaged over, you know, he averages almost 14 yards per catch. He won outside and played outside first before. Right. It was him and Stephon Diggs switched. He was the outside receiver and Diggs was the slot guy, and then they switched. And then also Thielen's a guy that's that's won in the end zone a lot. So I mean, I think a lot of people like think he's just like this volume based kind of like puddle jumper, but he's not. He gets the types of targets we want, you know, downfield targets. Uh, he can and he he has like a supreme versatility as a wide receiver, and can be used in that capacity. And then the Vikings themselves are this team that also we should expect to regress. Uh, they were just one of 14 teams over the past decade to have fewer than 500 passing plays in a season. 12 of those teams came back and had more passing plays the following season with an average increase of 65.3. So the Vikings aren't going to be a team that are going to approach 600 pass attempps. They probably won't even be in a team in the top half of the league in pass attempts still. But if you can add two more games of passing volume onto their totals of last year, that changes outlooks of a lot of guys. And he's probably a guy that I said like is just misconstrued as the type of usage he actually gets compared to, I think, the narrative around him. Every time I try to do that move where I get cute relative to ADP with Thielen <laughs> or with A-Rob or with Juju, I, I feel like I'm always punished for it. And those guys always go and I end up <laughs> looking at some some other wide receiver who I like a lot less or having to pivot to like, you know, some risky running back. And man, it, it really does kind of, if you do enough of these drafts, you start to figure out, it's like, okay, if I want these guys, I should probably just take these guys, especially if I think that they should be valued as such. And Thielen and, and A-Rob both fit the bill for me. Uh, I think those guys are pretty easy evaluations looking at how many targets we can expect them to get relative to their total offensive production. But let's go the other way. Who's the toughest wide receiver for you to evaluate in 2020? 
Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's just, you know, tough from an eval stance, but just floor to ceiling, you know, outcomes. I think more of, I think more of range of outcomes. I got a good idea how these guys are going to be used. It just depends overall value. I mean, the first guy obviously is probably in that sense is AJ Brown. Sure. Cause I mean, he could, he could be, he could be the wide receiver one. It's not like outside of those range of outcomes to be that, especially in this era where the, why the alpha wide receiver, the prototype built in the lab wide receiver is kind of a dying breed. He's one of these guys we still kind of have in that archetype. Uh, you know, these 225 pound, you know, guys that can play inside, they can play outside. Cause, you know, people forget, you know, him come, him, him coming out of prospect against Ole Miss. He was a slot receiver. And a lot of people kind of considered him to kind of be Juju Smith-Schuster-esque, one of these big slot guys. And then he didn't play slot for Tennessee. Uh, and then one yak, one, one in the yak game, one vertically. Um, but, you know, also we're still going to have to always question, you know, is there, is the volume, uh, concern going to be there? He also didn't ha- like win against good cornerbacks often enough last year, uh, to kind of alleviate us that he's like ready to make that jump and just dominate top competition. So, you know, the playoffs where he only got 10 targets, he's out targeted by Corey Davis in the playoffs. Uh, so there's still some concerns. He, I think he has a wide range of outcomes and we kind of saw it play out last year and he, even in his games when he was hot, you know, he had, he lived off these spike weeks and then kind of had really down weeks. So there's a wide range of outcomes for a guy like AJ Brown. Definitely think he's properly priced to go either way. You know, you can make the sure. argument, I think, for either taste that he's overpriced and underpriced. He's like a guy I think I have a tough, like, just outlook on. Cause I know, like, what he is as a player. I just don't know where, like, where it falls. Um, Keenan Allen's another one of those guys. Like, we know how good Keenan Allen is. But where does the volume fall and where does the quarterback change kind of fall? You know, you lose a guy like Phillip Rivers who's good at making anticipatory throws for two guys that are probably – well, Herbert, we definitely don't have a question – we have a question mark on. And then Tyrod, just like he's never been that type of a thrower. Like he's a guy that has to see the throw and make the throw. And that's not really Keenan Allen's game. So like where does Keenan Allen fall? Uh, and then you talk about just the the transition that the Chargers have kind of put us into – tipping us off on that this is a team that wants to kind of probably run the football and play defense and yep. play ball control yep. and not really have the turnovers that they had last year too you know Jameis kind of wore the, the the knight's armor for being the turnover prone guy but phil was just not not he wasn't just as bad i can't say that but he was you know he was he was turned there's a reason phil isn't there he was turning to rock over a, a lot uh and you know one thing tyrod's never done is turn the ball over and, and of all the things you can say about herbert shortcomings that you know you may concerns you may have the one thing he was is he was really protective of the football as well. He did not turn the ball over in college, which has been a translatable trait for quarterbacks to the NFL. So this is a team that, you know, they, they, they sign, they trade for a right guard. They sign a right tackle. They sign a defensive tackle. They sign a linebacker. Like this is a team that probably wants to play things closer to the vest. Anthony Lynn, uh, before, you know, inheriting, you know, Phillip Rivers, uh, when he had Tyrod for a couple of those years, you know, his teams were well under 500 pass attempts per season that he was associated with. So we could see that volume drop off, which in turn can take a guy that was more volume centric and, and needed those, you know, slot targets like a Keenan Allen and probably give him a lower floor, maybe hurt his ceiling a little bit uh, than we had been accustomed to. But in terms of talent, I mean, we know Keenan Allen is one of the best receivers in the NFL. It's just what does it do? Where does his fantasy floor now lie in this transition? So he's another guy um, I struggle with as well, you know, and, and to find that sweet spot where I always want to target him. I actually took him in a draft with a bunch of industry guys and I kind of regret it afterwards at the wide receiver 25, just cause it was kind of like on the edge of like where like, yeah, he can't, you know, th- th- there's probably some decent value here, but I like, is he also going to be at wide receiver 25? It's really going to out produce wide receiver 25. And I think I have a question of that still as well. And I kind of regretted taking there in hindsight. Yeah. I've been off Allen. He is one of 
the guys that I've been fading, but I do worry that I've, I'm wrong about that just because of how good of a player he is. And, and another guy like that who's been tough for me to evaluate is Cortland Sutton. Again, we know the talent is there, but he didn't look great with Drew Locke last season. And I worry that Drew Locke just might not be very good in, in his own right, and that could drag <laughs> down the entire Broncos offense. That offense added a lot of pieces, too, between Melvin Gordon, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, and the expectations for Noah, Noah Fant seem pretty high. So it, it seems like a safe bet to me for some or many of these pieces to disappoint if I don't like Drew Locke, which I don't, right? Uh, maybe Sutton will be one of those disappointments, maybe not. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, the thing, the argument for Sutton is that, you know, yards per team pass attempt is one of these, like, really sticky stats that lead to, like, they have a lot of high correlation to falling season production, and he's he was third in the NFL in that category last year behind Stephon Diggs and Michael Thomas. But you talk about the splits. When you get into the splits, I mean, he was by far his best with Joe Flacco. I mean, he caught 65% of his targets from Joe Flacco, uh, 636 yards and three touchdowns. He was the wide receiver 13 scoring with Joe Flacco, a guy we don't even really believe is that good, which is a testament to how good we believe Sutton is sure uh and then you know it really fell off like with Brandon Allen he caught 53 percent of his targets but he you know two touchdowns and then Drew Locke he was the wide receiver 38 or lower in four of those uh final four games or final four of those final five games with Drew Locke uh so that really fell off the bottom fell out and then also when you look at this Denver you know situation like you kind of hit upon they bring in a lot of ambiguity or guys that can fight for targets also I believe this is a team just by their nature of head coach and Vic Fangio even though he did bring in you know Pat Shermer but this is a team that also I think from a head coach perspective also isn't going to be hyper aggressive just by nature of their head coach right which is also probably a problem as well but yeah same boat Sutton's in on these guys he's got you know the Kenny Galladay factor like the targets he gets matters and can really he can turn a target reduction into something for fantasy still. You know, if he, he's one of those guys that has like a 10 touchdown season, his range of outcomes, even on 110 targets, uh, and can really, you know, kind of hold his ground there. It just, there's a lot of volatility in that range of outcomes, which has kind of been like the theme we talked about. Like, so we know something's going to be used. There's just a high disparity between the floor and the ceiling um, on, and where, do, what, what kind of production do you actually get? Uh, I mean, Stephon Diggs is probably in that same boat, you know, that whole little tier guys, you know, Stephon Diggs, we know how good of a player he is. But, you know, transitioning to Josh Allen, who is a supreme, you know, accuracy drop from a guy like Kirk yes. Cousins, and especially in the deep ball. Josh Allen has really struggled in deep ball accuracy, even for having, you know, his enormous bazooka of an arm that, we, that we've seen. And Stephon Diggs is a guy who can win vertically. He's shown he can win, you know, intermediately. He, we, we probably won't even ever really appreciate how good of a receiver Stephon Diggs is, just because of the situations he's been placed in throughout his career. Uh, or how good he even was last year. I don't think any people realize, you know, him being a sub a thousand yard receiver on sub 100 targets is not it's crazy easy to do you know i think a lot of people get lost at how good he was last year just because the overall volume wasn't there too but Diggs is another one of those guys you know changing teams john brown and cole beasley accounted for so much of the share of that passing pie last year where does he fit in and where does his target share lie we i, mean, I think we we believe he's gonna be the, the highest targeted guy in that offense but those other guys played really well uh in that offense last year and had some rapport with josh allen so where does it fall i don't think that they'll just be vagabonds and they'll be left for to have three targets a game each uh so he's another guy too like we know where that where it can lie uh ceiling wise but he has a wide range of outcomes so i mean those are kind of the guys i haven't been drafting the most of and instead have been drafting those guys like the mclaurins who unlike sutton did show something at the end of the season with dwayne haskins you know or a dj shark who we saw had a high ceiling with you know gardner Minshew to start the year and have been taking on more of those guys or dk metcalf who led the nfl in end zone targets and is playing with russell wilson or tyler lockett that's and i've been grabbing more to those guys 
than those guys that have that wider range of outcomes. Because like we kind of talked about, those guys are a little bit more of a conundrum where they've got a lot more volatility into which side uh, you have to nail your player eval on more than just kind of, you know, uh, taking on the, the the floor moments with those guys. So, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what we hit upon. That, that like pocket of guys we all touched on. Those guys have wide range of outcomes. Well, and because wide receiver has a little bit more volatility than other positions, you know, how many targets a player gets, how many targets they convert into catches, you don't have as much clarity in those early weeks if your guy is underperforming to say, okay, it's time to cut this guy loose. Whereas with a running back or a tight end, like if, if the opportunities aren't there, it's pretty easy to you know shut the door on that player and move on to somebody else. It's a little bit trickier, I think, with wide receiver in that regard. Now, you mentioned ambiguity, and I want to talk about some wide receiver groupings or, or wide receiver cores on certain teams that are a little ambiguous to me, not necessarily in terms of which guys are the best, but which guys are the best fantasy values at their cost. And let's start with Dallas, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, or CeeDee Lamb. So, yeah, I mean, because I definitely like still would say, like, yeah, Cooper's the best guy, but I think I, I'm more gravitated getting Gallup on my roster than most of those guys. Yeah, I've already talked about how I don't like Cooper at cost, and I think Gallup's the guy for me. Uh, let's go to Cleveland next. We talked about these guys a little bit already, but uh, at cost, would you rather have Odell Beckham Jr. or Jarvis Landry? Man, this one's tough. Uh, I think that Landry is is starting to be like a little bit showing himself as the like, the best value, but I mean Odell could still be the wide receiver one in his range of outcomes, and I think that that's definitely palatable at his price uh, where you're getting him. How about in Seattle, Tyler Lockett and the guy you just mentioned, DK Metcalf. Uh, Lockett to me is one of the most undervalued wide receivers in the NFL from a real value stance and then an actual fantasy stance. You know, and last year he had that injury that kind of pushed him off towards the end of the season, guff people with sour taste in their mouths. But uh, listen, Russell Wilson's been first or second in the NFL in end zone pass attempts in each of the past three years. Uh, his targets are valuable. Lockett also wins over the top. Uh, I edge Lockett a little bit too, but I also like DK Fine too. Yeah, I like both these guys. It's very similar to the dichotomy between Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Like I'll draft both of those dudes too. I, I, those are just very condensed, narrow target trees that I want to be invested in. Uh, let's go to Cincinnati next. AJ Green or Tyler Boyd? Oh boy, uh, man, because you got me in an archetype position where like Boyd just isn't a type of player I like to draft at his at his cost. But AJ Green also is like a complete falling knife narrative, like where people are selling themselves on just one shred of upside to where like all these red flags surround him. And we've already seen him already kind of be hurt in the first practice and just kind of remind everyone. But 32 years old, missed 29 games over since 2015, uh, rookie quarterback. I, I mean, I'm more likely to roster an archetype, A.J. Green's archetype, than I am Tyler Boyd, so I guess still him. But uh, these are two players I just haven't drafted a lot of at all. Yeah, you and I are in the same boat. I think if I had to choose one, I would go with Boyd because I feel like his role is a little bit safer long term. And like you said, I did, everything that's happened with A.J. Green over the past season and a half, just I, I'm worried about it. I, I just can't pull the trigger when it's you know his range of ADP. Uh, let's go back to Denver with Cortland Sutton versus Jerry Judy. Still, still Sutton for me out of the Denver guys. Hard to invest in a, a, a rookie wide receiver to believe that he has that much upside. He'd be more of like a longer play, whereas Sutton, I think, is going to get the volume volume at minimum right away. Yeah, the, the answer for me here is none of the above, but <laughs> I, I do think you, you probably just go with the continuity from last season. Uh, New England next, Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry, or Mohamed Sanu at cost? Uh, I, I think there's an argument to be made for Julian Edelman to be like a value at his cost, but he's someone I just don't draft a lot for a lot of the reasons we talked about, you know, AJ Green, even though he's been healthier, but we're talking about, you know, a 34 year old receiver, uh, you know, changing, changing quarterbacks, you know, Edelman hasn't caught a pass from a non Tom Brady quarterback, I believe since 2016. 
Uh, and that's another team that's probably going to have a culture shift uh, in terms of overall passing volume, like we talked about the Chargers. Transitioning to Cam Newton, Cam Newton's the most passes ever thrown in a season is 517. Like they're, This is a team that's also probably going to have a, a supreme reduction in pass attempts. Uh, I, I like Harry where he goes because if you're wrong, whatever, he goes in a spot where it's all downside anyways. Like yeah. you, only care, you only care about the upside. So Harry's a guy I have been drafting uh, the most out of those guys. Yeah, I don't really have a strong take here. I think the case could be made for any of the three ending up as the best value at their cost. But in practice, I've drafted Sanu multiple times in the late rounds just because he is free. I've drafted Edelman once in the Scott Fishbowl where the point per first down and PPR scoring settings make him pretty appealing. And I haven't drafted Harry at all, but it's not like I've been actively fading him. I just haven't ended up with him. So I I, I don't know. This is another one of those where I kind of just throw my hands up in the air. Uh, <laughs> Philadelphia, Jalen Rigor or Deshaun Jackson? I have been drafting both these guys. I think uh, Rigor is going to jump to a point where I'm probably not going to get a lot of him for the rest of the summer, but DJX hangs around that wide receiver 50 mark. DJX, you can't count on a full season for him, but uh, I think he's going to be really hyper-involved start to season in their passing game. You talk about no Alshon having a rookie wide receiver. Looking at the, the, the report, he just had a one game with Carson Wentz last year uh, to maybe unlock some of that. You know, if you get this that usage and run into some of those spike weeks early on before you have to worry about his age or, you know, health kind of creeping into the fold or even Rigor getting acclimated and, and acquiring a larger role as the season goes on. I think DJX is going to be good the, the front half of the season or at least to open the season, maybe the front quarter, maybe the front half is stretching it out too far. But I think he's going to really be involved in the passing game there to start the season. I think he's a big part of what the Eagles do early on. Yeah, I want both of these guys too. Uh, Kansas City, Sammy Watkins or Mecole Hardman? I still would rather roster Hardman and see where it goes instead of Watkins at this point. You know, Watkins hasn't, what, been over 700 yards in the past, you know, four years. Just I think at this point we know where the season-long ceiling kind of lies at Watkins. He had uh, the best look he was ever going to have, I think, last year and didn't deliver for us. With the Giants, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, or Golden Tate? I'm in on Shepard out of these guys. I know he has the most injury risk, but uh, to me, he's like an arbitrage Tyler Boyd, an arbitrage Robert Woods in a sense. Uh, not going to have the overall targets, but in any of the three games these guys played together last year, Shepard was the lead target. He even had five or more catches in the game, the four games he played with these three guys with Daniel Jones as the starter. So, I mean, I think he's one of these guys I've been getting as a bench guy. There are some injury concerns there too, but he goes around the wide receiver 45, wide receiver 50 mark in a lot of these drafts, and is like a great bench guy, I believe, and an arbitrage play in a number of players that go ahead of him. Maybe this next one is kind of easy because James Washington is currently missing practice with an undisclosed injury, undisclosed injury but Deontay Johnson or James Washington in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I, w- I was still on the Deontay Johnson train. It's kind of tapered off a little bit and been more lukewarm than it was to start the offseason where it looked like he was going to climb maybe to like to push the top 30 and then everyone kind of laid out the receivers and was like, yeah, the wide receivers, there's a lot of good ones. So we'll, we'll hold the boat on that. But uh, I just think when you look at his type of, you know, his background, you know, the, the productive early breakout uh, in college, he's got the special teams pedigree. He's also just the type of receiver, I think, that, you know, has really been successful for the Steelers. You know, when you think of Emmanuel Sanders, is, uh, the Antonio Browns, uh, like he fits like that archetype of receiver they've had a lot of success with. Uh, so I would side with him still, whereas, you know, James Washington's more boom bust. You know, he's got one specific role in the offense. Let's go to the other New York team, the Jets, with Brashad Perriman and Denzel Mims. Do you want either of these guys? Uh, I mean, they're fine to tack on. I think the, the argument for Perriman is that, you know, he's you know the, there's just a low target tree, an opportunity tree there, the Jets, for him to climb. And, you know, if those last four weeks of the season are the type of player he can kind of be, that's fine. I've honestly been drafting Herndon the most out of the Jets guys. 
Dalek turned into and Crowder for what it's worth. I just wanted to check your temperature on these uh, lower ADP guys. Uh, let's go to potentially the most ambiguous wide receiver group in the NFL, the Oakland Raiders. Henry Ruggs, Tyrell Williams, Brian Edwards. The Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, man, you got me. Hunter Renfro. They got you out the door your last show, and you went to the Oakland Raiders. Well, I'm from there. It's, like, really hard for me to, to break that tradition. I'm a Bay Area guy. So, uh, you know, Oakland for life, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to go out on that. Uh, yeah, I'm fine with, uh, you know, taking Ruggs where he goes. I think that we'll probably see Rieger pass him up when it was Ruggs was kind of ahead in ADP for a little bit of the summer. Uh, so, I mean, I'm fine with Ruggs where he goes. And, you know, if you want to throw a deep dart, Brian Edwards is, is kind of worth swinging on as well. It really seems like that, like they're not like going to really involve Renfro a lot. I don't know how much truth is going to be to this or not, but I, He's not coming up at all in any of these reports. And even in usage, people are reporting stuff on Nelson Aguilar even over him. I'm like, mm-hmm. what is happening? Um, it makes sense to me, though, because you look at what they did in the draft by bringing right. in Ruggs and Edwards. And I, I just don't see why they would do that if they thought that Hunter Renfro was going to be a high-volume guy for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, you've got Waller in the immediate sure. area as well. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm fine with taking shots on, on, on Ruggs and um, – even Edwards is like a, a deeper league guy, although I think his path to actual playing time is going to be a little more stinted than Ruggs is. We talked earlier about how the Jags are going to be bad. They're going to probably be throwing a lot in catch-up mode. And sometimes that means that we want wide receivers for that sort of team. But beyond DJ Chark, it's kind of hard to tell who the next guy up is there for Jacksonville. D.D. Westbrook, LaVisca Chenault, Chris Conley. Uh, which of those three do you prefer? Uh, definitely Chenault. I mean, they have that team has no equity tied into Westbrook or Conley beyond this season, where you invest, you know, in, in the second round pick in Chenault. And I also like Chenault just because he has some creative usage aspects to his game. They might run some wildcat with him. They might use him in some different capacities, like he was used uh, in college. So it gives him a little bit of a door, but. Yeah, I, I definitely like him the most of all those other guys stepping up. Cause we, it's another situation where we kind of know what D.D. Westbrook and Chris Conley are at this point. They've already told us. Next, I want to get to the receivers that we've been drafting the most often this season. For me, it's Christian Kirk. Listeners can go back and listen to old shows if they want to hear me make the case for Kirk. For the sake of time, I'm not going to make it again today. But Rich, <laughs> which wide receiver do you find yourself drafting most often this year? Yeah, I like Kirk. Feeling definitely I've been drafting the most of. And then like my non-starting guys because typically if we're talking starting guys it's not going to be your most owned guy because it's it's probably some cheap guy that you just always tack on right uh the guys guys for me are mike williams uh just because he's way low in drafts he's out he's not a starter anymore uh in terms of adp but you look at the types of targets he gets they're all in zone deep targets the depth chart for the chargers is just laughably bad after him and keenan allen at the wide receiver position so if something were to happen to keenan allen and you were to get like a 100 target season out of mike williams he would have a kenny galladay like season his range of outcomes of last year he's just uh way underpriced the types of targets he gets and the opportunity could run into because the depth chart is just so bad around him and then um i'm still like at the end of drafts just throwing a dart on josh reynolds uh, i have laid out this this case uh for the rams and the narrative read on the rams and the 12 personnel thing a lot of times so i won't completely rehash that again here but anytime the rams trailed over the back half of the season last year when this tyler higby explosion hit they went right back to 11 personnel 85 percent of the time their win total has dropped from you know win perspective narrative from vegas uh and then their front half schedule is really bad they play 
seven teams in their first 11 games they have a higher projected win total than they do so i mean if the rams are going to be way worse than we think and we want to hedge on this 12 personnel narrative around the rams like josh reynolds is a guy who's just going to play more than we believe i don't particularly believe in josh reynolds the player or have anything to really support around him it's just like he's a narrative hedge on this whole Rams situation uh that, that he could play entirely more than we think and he led the rams in end zone targets just two years ago yeah, for the same reason that you like Mike Williams, I'm also interested in Hunter Henry, not a wide receiver, but you know the depth chart there is so bad that I could see Henry, if he can stay healthy this year, you know, really being a difference maker at tight end. I have him ranked a, a little bit higher than the consensus, I believe, which means I think I have him at like tight end five or something like that. But um, anyway, you mentioned Adam Thielen, and, and you're right. like Those types of guys in the early rounds are harder to get often because they're good. Everybody wants those players, and he's definitely – one of those guys I wish I could draft more often. I mentioned earlier how I keep trying to get cute and missing out. I should just take him in the third, I guess. Are there any other players like that for you where you know wide receivers that you are interested in, that you want on your teams, but for whatever reason you just keep missing out on them, maybe because you're just slightly lower than the consensus or just by happenstance based upon where you tend to be drafting, uh, You know, maybe from pick one to pick 12, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely. I mean, the earlier rounds, uh, Calvin Ridley, just because everyone everyone's yeah. on him now. Uh, I was get you know we, in the early offseason we get him regularly in the fifth. Now he goes more in the fourth. So he's a guy I'm always have earmarked to get, but I, most of the draft does as well. So I don't get him as often as I'd like. Uh, I think that definitely the table is set for him. And then the other guy is 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 Will Fuller, who's kind of I think that the drum beat has kind of come on for him as well. And I always want to take fuller more towards his adp and i found myself like if you want will fuller you can almost have to reach for him now ahead of adp uh which i don't think is a huge problem either but uh i also want to have insurance for will fuller as well sure <laughs> so i mean yeah but he's a guy i definitely always say like, well yeah i'm gonna target will fuller in the strike zone and then someone always jumps me on him so i mean i do wish i had more of him at this stage of the offseason. So see if we can correct that. But uh, yeah, definitely those two guys. It's getting harder. I think we can probably blame our friend Evan Silva for, for touting that. For both guys. Yeah. He ruined Ridley too. <laughs> I was supposed to do Ridley for the uh, Roto Underworld draft kit. And they came in and Evan just bullied me out and said he was doing Ridley. And I, I didn't even get to do the Calvin Ridley video. So he already he just squatter writes me. I mean, that's the kind of pull you have with Evan Silva, man. He just it just just boxed me out. The goat. Uh, so I did Joe Burrow instead. <laughs> uh, I, I stuck to the brand. <laughs> All right. Uh, get you out of here on this one. Who is your favorite deep sleeper dart throw type at wide receiver? Someone who might be one of your last few picks in a 20 round best ball type of format. You mentioned Josh Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there anybody else who fits that bill for you? Yeah, definitely Reynolds uh, was is kind of that guy for me uh, when you're just talking about the end of the boat, and I think I laid out the case there, but he's definitely the guy that I most frequently get there as well. And then, um, I mean, we're you didn't talk about the, we didn't talk about the Packers thing. Are you a Lazard guy, or you just is it all just Devontae Adams? Uh, I've dabbled in Lazard, but I yeah, I'm, I'm more on Devontae, and even him, I haven't ended up with much because again, I'm looking at running backs really for the most right. part, just playing to the market more than anything else. I want to say that I could still be on MVS or Equinemius St. Brown or whatever, but yeah, generally I'm honestly more likely to draft Jay Sternberger than I am to draft uh, any of those tertiary wide receivers in Green Bay. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sorry, I'll just keep Josh Reynolds as my answer. For me, I'm going to throw out Miles Boykin here. I was on him last season to no avail, but I'm, I'm not going to give up on a promising wideout and a potent offense just after one season. Boykin's going to have to burn me multiple years in a row like Brashad Perriman <laughs> did uh, in our fake goods <laughs> dynasty league before I admit defeat. 
<laughs> yeah, I like Boykin too. I think the path for him to be the like this year's DJ Shark is just a little tougher because I think we both believe that Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews are the one and two. That's right. Uh, in terms of targets, so that's it makes it a little tougher. But I definitely can see like especially when you bring up the best ball component, that's what you're hoping that Boykin has just more splash moments uh, than we got last year. Uh, are you altered by it at all if they add Des Bryant or does the does does, add, does no. the Ravens adding Des Bryant change anything at all for how you view that team? Period. No, I, I mean it's the same thing with like Lamar <laughs> Miller being added to the Patriots. Like when I see these old crusty veterans get added to teams, I just I, I don't know. I, I assume it's for some other weird reason. I don't think that they're going to take time away from you know the players that need to be out on the field for these teams. I, I don't know if you agree with that, but that's generally my approach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, th- that's definitely where it is. It's, you know, when you have these name brand recognition guys, it's always going to draw that buzz like LaShawn McCoy did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any other big picture wide receiver strategy you want to impart to the listeners before we sign off here, Rich? I'll just, yeah, listen, man, focus on, you know, that, you know, focus on how guys are used. All wide receivers aren't the same, even though they are one position in fantasy football. Focus on how wide receivers are used. Uh, not all targets are a target. Different targets have different target values. I have an article on that uh, this offseason that's free on the site. You can read that with no paywall. And then also, even though you heard us name a bunch of players and how we're playing a position, you don't have to agree with us. Draft the players you want to draft, man. Don't draft players because you think their value is ADP or they're high in some rankings that you're going to your draft with. Uh, make sure that you're rostering the players you want to roster and losing the way you want to lose if you're going to go down. Because we've all been this in the fantasy draft, and you'll be lucky to even get through the whole season rostering 50 to 60% of the roster you drafted in the first place. So make sure you're at least drafting the players you want to draft. It, it, it sounds simple and like really kind of rainbow in the sky type of fantasy analysis, but you, it, we've all been victims of this in a fantasy draft, drafting players we never really wanted to own in the first place and end up regretting it so just even whether you agree with me greg or anyone else it's like make sure you're you're just taking the guys you want to have on your roster yeah that's great evergreen advice i really appreciate that uh it's a good note to go out on here rich why don't you let folks know where they can find you where they can find your stuff uh, sharpfootballanalysis.com uh, I've done over 100 articles this season that are free no paywall you can check all those out we have shifted more to subscriber based draft content uh, as we approach these last two and a half weeks of the season it's where you can find the worksheet uh, you can p- find my podcast uh, free to everybody as well with my buddy Chad Scott at pre-snap motion podcast find that rate review subscribe other than that man everyone stay safe these uh, last two and a half weeks and you know we've finally got some normalcy here as it revolves around the football world we're going to start playing <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait, man. Um, Appreciate you coming on, Rich. Thanks again. Absolutely. All right, everybody. That does it for this final episode of mine here on TMAP. I'll be around still on Twitter, at Greg Sauce. If you want to talk fantasy football, hit me up on there. Uh, Thank you again for supporting me in my run here at 4 for 4. I hope you'll show Alex Gelhar the same support going forward. So with all that said, you've been listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. This is Greg Smith signing off. Adios. Adios.